Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I made the train Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. And I'm going to encourage you to um, check out our past episodes. And the way that I'm going to encourage you to do that is by playing them this summer because people will be like, I didn't know you got to talk to that person. And I did. On that list is Al Jaffe. Al Jaffe has been cartooning for um, 60, 61 years. He's 95 years old. I had the pleasure and privilege of getting to interview him twice and seeing him in his studio at work. He created the foldout for Mad Magazine, which was um, before The Onion, before The Daily Show, uh, before so many comedies. This was the only outlet, and it was a really magical one, and it was great to talk to him twice. I'm going to encourage you, if you liked our first interview, to go listen to our second one. It's pretty special to talk to someone who um, has survived so many things. I really want to recommend, I recommend it to everyone I speak to, um, the book about Al Jaffe called Al Jaffe's Mad Life. It's by Mary Lou Wiseman, and it really shows how much having a passion, whatever it is, can help you survive. And for those of you who've ever read um, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, it is a book of the similar ilk um, in that it shows what it's like to survive trauma and also um, just continue to keep that spark in your life. And and Al Jaffe has done that his whole life, and he would hate all of this because he's really humble. <laughs> he's really funny and sweet. Um, but I would, I would recommend you check out that book. Again, it's um, Mary Lou Weissman's book, and it's called Al Jaffe's Mad Life. It's a biography that they did together, and it shows his original drawings for that as well. And he's still drawing, and he's even still drawing for SpongeBob um, as well as Mad Magazine. So without further ado, here's my interview with Al Jaffe. It was recorded live at Joe pub at the public theater. It is such a pleasure. I think I speak on behalf of so many people here whose childhood brains are exploding right now with, with joy to, to uh, see you in the, in the flesh and blood. It's really nice. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about um, what was getting into um, uh, LaGuardia, your first break and if you would tell that story about getting into to, um, high school for music and arts. Getting into music and art was music a fluke. <laughs> uh, actually, I'll make this very brief because it's not a fascinating story. Uh, I, I was told to pick us. Uh, I was in middle school, which was Herman Ritter Junior High School. And I was told I had three choices for a high school. One was uh, commercial, one was academic, and the other one, I think, was uh, a trade school. None of these were appealing because the only thing that I had any proficiency at was uh, drawing. And I, I thought, you know, if I could develop that, it would be worth something. And, uh, uh, and lo and behold, the wonderful mayor of New York, Thorell O.H. LaGuardia, 
to whom I will always be indebted, created the High School of Music and Art, and I was one of the fortunate ones to be chosen, along with classmates who created Mad Magazine, Harvey Kurtzman, Will Elder, Johnny Severin, and so on. And I loved hearing the story where you were drawing in a class and your teacher called you into the principal's office, is that correct? Well, I, I was, actually this was in an English class, uh, and in order to occupy my mind while the teacher was going on endlessly about a subjunctive and uh, things that I had no idea what she was talking about, um, I was doing sketches of, uh, especially when she got into uh, Shakespeare, uh, and uh, other famous writer, uh, writers, and we did book reports and so on. But I would be constantly drawing. Upon graduation, she appeared in front of me with a huge album, and she said, take a look at this. And it was all the drawings that she had confiscated <laughs> for four years in that English class, which kind of was very flattering. She didn't give it to me. Where are they? Who knows? <laughs> they may be on eBay. I was going to show a picture of, of you. Um, and let's see if we can get you to turn around just to see this because... That's about um, right. This is Wolf Eisenberg who became Will Eisner with no, you. He became Will Elder. Will Elder, excuse me. Yes. Um, and this is at uh, what we call LaGuardia now. Yes. At that time, it was the High School of Music and Art, and it was uh, near City College in what used to be... We took over a girls' school, Wadley High School, and as each class in Wadley graduated, a new class of music and artists moved in until... They took over the entire building. And this was in their cafeteria. Um, I just wanted to set the stage a little bit for everyone that um, you had grown up with a, at best, tumultuous childhood of being taken away from your home in Savannah and going to Lithuania, not once but twice, um, right as, you know, the Nazis were starting to occupy. And you were luckily able to get out, but your mom took you away from your father twice and then finally your father was able to rescue you and your th three of your brothers and then another one and so the fact that you were able to get into LaGuardia that's why I was asking or school of performing arts uh, school of music and performing arts right am I getting high school of music and arts. high school of music and arts um at that time did it did it did it feel like a big break well or just better than trade school uh, returning to America was what I consider a big break at that time because uh, Hitler was on the march and uh, if we had, if my family had stayed a little while longer, we never would have gotten out. But uh, everything that subsequently happened to me in America was a big break. I mean, it, it, the 
It's the land of opportunity. Well, you certainly have embodied the Horatio Alger story of, of an incredible work ethic and just working like a madman um, <laughs> and having just sheer talent and bravery. Um, I wanted to, I loved, I read your autobiography, or excuse me, your biography, which I really strongly recommend people get called The Mad Life. Um, and it's about you and your brothers. Um, and it is just incredible what you guys lived through, but also how cartooning remained. It seems like cartooning was the thing that allowed you to, to thrive wherever you were, whether it was like in a Jewish ghetto in Zarsai or in Savannah or in the Bronx. Well, I think that the, the answer really is that all of us try to put our best foot forward. Uh, my best foot was that I could entertain my little friends with my ability to draw. They would ask me, draw Little Orphan Annie, uh, draw the Gumps, draw whatever popular thing there was. And uh, uh, I think children are naturally drawn to uh, being praised and being recognized for a special ability. If you're a good baseball player, uh, which I was the worst, uh, uh, then you, you, you attract attention that way. You want to be noticed. And uh, I found that being able to draw was what um, made me acceptable. And that was important to me. But, but so this is from Trump Magazine, where you worked before MAD. Which was subsidized by uh, Hugh Hefner of Playboy Magazine, who wanted to produce a very, very slick, competitive magazine to MAD, and he offered less than fabulous amounts of money. Uh, and uh, actually, he was very nice to us, to tell, tell you the truth. But uh, I think the uh, Trump magazine, which was uh, really quite, there were only two issues, and they were quite beautiful, in full color while MAD was printed in newsprint, black and white newsprint. The on, only color it had was the front cover and the back cover. However, a, a friend of mine who was a psychologist really nailed it when he said, Trump will fail. MAD has that uh, anti-establishment feel to it. It's a cheap, raggedy old magazine on cheap paper with, uh, you know, f nothing fancy about it. And it'll be very appealing to the kids. And he was right. So let's skip, let's skip ahead then to um, Mad Magazine. Um, this is just you working with your brothers and um, friends before you started at Mad. This is when you guys were, were doing the airplanes for Jaffe. Yes. And uh, my, my, my younger brother, Harry, was a remarkable artist. And uh, he, uh, he took a walk down Madison Avenue and looked in a window and saw that there was a Frenchman doing, and this is uh, prior to World War II, uh, where airplanes became the biggest thing uh, around because uh, they were not only starting to be used in commercial flight, but they were being popularized as military weapons. And he just fell in love with these airplanes and started making paintings 
And uh, I took a batch of them to Macy's and they bought the entire batch. And then I went to Abercrombie and Fitch and they bought the whole batch. So he was supporting the entire family before he turned 20. And he also put an accent on your name to make it Jaffe instead of Jaffe. That's because the Frenchman who originated this uh, had an accent on his name. <laughs> so Harry put one on his. Um, so then we're going we're gonna to skip ahead. This is the flit ad that um, you had seen on the trolley, I believe. Um, and this was by Theodore Geisel, who we all know as Dr. Seuss. Inferior Man, um, you introduced as a, as a competitor, or at least as a um, spin-off of uh, S- Superman. <laughs> Inferior Man is what I would call a juvenile cheap shot. Uh, you see something that's very popular, and you think, well, I'll come up with something like it, you know. There, I had once seen something called uh, Mickey Rat. You know, someone thought that if uh, Mickey Mouse could become popular, why couldn't Mickey Rat become popular? <laughs> so, you know, these are, uh, this is the way young people sometimes think. And uh, then you grow older and you think even worse. But um, I, I, I did Inferior Man uh, for a while, and uh, it, it really, the simplicity of the idea uh, stopped appealing to me. Um, and then you went on to, well, to, did Ziggy, Pig, Silly Seal, did this come before Inferior Man or after? Uh, Ziggy, Pig, and Silly Seal came after Inferior Man. And is it true that that was all you had to show to uh, get hired by Stan Lee? Well, uh, actually, I went to Stan Lee with a portfolio of a a lot of different things. And he, uh, well, he he threw a script at me. He said, if you can do this, uh, I'll give you lots of work. And it was about a ripoff of another thing, which was uh, two bumbling policemen and called Squat Car Squad. So I did that for a while. Then one day he, he simply said, create an animal strip. Walt Disney is very popular. So I, the only uh, character that I hadn't seen uh, someone else do was about a seal. So I created <laughs> Silly Seal. And then he said, well, give Silly Seal a partner. Uh, call him Ziggy Pig. Well, I, for people who don't know, Stan Lee was 17 at the time, and he went on to become, I think, one of the, one of the most famous cartoonists ne- next to you and Jack Kirby. Well, he was, no, Stan Lee was really quite brilliant in, uh, his mind was constantly working, and he, he always had his finger on the pulse of the, the readership, and uh, uh, I, I admired him a great deal. It's wonderful. Um, I wanted to get to um, Mad. Um, you have so, so much to, to share. So these are just tidbits of a hugely prolific career, but um, when you got to Mad, you became most famous, um, of course, for the fold-in. Um, and this is the 
second one you did, um, and it just for the few people who don't know what the fold-in is, um, this is the picture that you would originally see, and then um, you'd have to fold in the magazine to get the answer to the riddle. Now, when you were first hired at Mad, you were hired as a, as a writer. Yes, I was hired as a writer uh, because they had a staff of artists. And the first story was on baseball, whether it was a science or a skill? Yes, it was baseball, and it was illustrated by Jack Davis, who was brilliant at illustrating any sports story. And then I did another one that he illustrated, which was about boxing. And finally, they gave me the opportunity to write my own story and illustrate it. And it was, you know, it's like, uh, without knowing background, a lot of these things absolutely make no sense. But there was a, guy, a golfer by the name of Sam Sneed. And if, if you can believe that an entire nation hung on the secret of how Sam Sneed succeeded at golf, Life magazine devoted almost an entire issue okay. revealing Sam Sneed's secret. <laughs> and it, was, it involved how he grips the handle of a golf club. <laughs> uh, Fascinating. This is serious business. So I, I revealed in slow motion how that happened. And... Uh, during the slow motion sequences that I created, uh, slowly but surely, more than 10 fingers started to appear. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the revelation, of course, was simply uh, ludicrous, but uh, in any case, I've made a career out of that. Now, you, you've worked. You've, you've, you've satirized 11 presidents. Is there one who's particularly, uh, was particularly easy to satirize? We just, you can show a couple more, Mitch, of the different ones. Um, you know, and the question would start, you'd see this fold in, just for people who don't know, and it would say, what part of the Clinton crime plan seems destined to fail? And you see this picture of Bill and Hillary. You, um, you gave her a very flattering haircut, as with him. Um, and then when you fold it in, covering up white water um, would be the, the answer. Um, but, but out of all these, these presidents, you had 11, which one was the most easy to do? I think of... <laughs> None of them are easy. Uh, humor is a serious business. And, um, uh, you know, you live in a time when certain things are on everyone's mind and you can do something that relates to it and uh, you have a chance at success. Uh, but if you come up with the greatest idea about William Howard Taft today, uh, who's going to pay any attention to it? I mean... So it's uh, being of the moment, and the, uh, like, all humor is based on surprise. And the fold-in presents one picture, and then the surprise is the second picture. 
And that's about it. It's as simple as anyone could do it. Well, but but you but you invented a form of comedy that we had never had before, and it was interactive, so that um, kids at home could become involved, and you treated us as if we were your peers. So it was very exciting um, for five generations. Although I'm, there are a lot of screwed up magazines. Um, another thing that I, I wanted to ask you about is um, you did all these crazy inventions. Um, and I just wanted to read some of them because you, do you understand that you could be a billionaire? You, you drew up all of these inventions. You had the idiot-proof typewriter, which includes memory tapes and stores millions of words, phrases, and correct grammatical expressions, which is a word processor. You had a smoke-free ashtray, which exists now. Here you have the cell phone. You had s snow surfing in 1965 that became a snowboard. Acrylic pain squirt guns for dog poo in 1975. <laughs> three-blade razor, the breathalyzer, and then I also love the poopsie doll um, here. But <laughs> Did you ever think about patenting any of these things? No, I never did, but I have been mentioned in a number of patents. <laughs> uh, you know, essentially, I, I had the opportunity to do what all of us in the audience would love to do. And the way most of us express it is by saying, why don't they have such and such? Because you've run into a situation where it's obvious that some simple thing would solve this little problem that you have, but there isn't anything like it. So I could have fun with it, you know, by doing it in Mad Magazine. I had a, a breathalyzer built into the steering wheel of an automobile. <laughs> the ignition would not turn on if you breathed uh, an excessive amount of alcohol. But that's brilliant! <laughs> and that's now, now I think is actually um, mandatory for people who have uh, DUIs or something like that. Um, so you've done some social service as well. I think I did this 45 years ago. <laughs> um, so the other, the other one I just wanted to ask is, how did you come up with snappy answers to stupid questions? Well, at the risk of boring some people who uh, heard this before, which consists of my entire family sitting over there. Over here. Uh, um, the... I probably thought along these lines all the time because it's essentially uh, sarcasm taken to a new level. Um, but the way it actually, what triggered it was that I lived on Long Island and frequently we had storms that knocked the television antenna over. Some of you in the audience may be young enough, old enough to remember what a television antenna is. <laughs> but you couldn't get television without it. So I had to climb up on a, an extended ladder and try to straighten this thing out. And I have a terrible fear of heights, so I was clinging to the chimney while trying to tighten it. And I hear footsteps on the ladder behind me. And it's... I hear my son's voice saying, where's mom? <laughs> I said, I have killed her and I'm stuffing her down the <laughs> chimney. 
My son does not like me to say what I'm about to say, which is one of the benefits is he didn't speak to me for a month. <laughs> but the other benefit was that when I came down, I thought, you know, these crazy experiences like, and, and, and I sketched out a quick one, which was a guy who was plowed his car into a tree and some passerby says, did you have an accident? <laughs> And I thought, these are, there's something too simple about it. And, uh, it'll never work. But then I, I drew up a bunch of them and took them into MAD. And the editor fell in love with it. And uh, I, We're going to show one um, of the, this one. Uh, Arnie Kogan, who, who writes the movies for MAD, said that this was his favorite thing that you did. Um, and here the mother is asked, are they, are they t a mother is asked by a stranger, are they twins? And Al, what were your answers to this uh, <laughs> snappy answer to stupid questions? You said... Uh, the woman says, are they twins? And she says, no, they're a pair of identical strangers. <laughs> no, they're nine years apart. Smoking stunted the older one's growth. No, he's an only child. Who's your eye doctor? <laughs> <laughs> Not that good. <laughs> now, the other thing, I imagine that um, being a cartoonist, your life was rather isolating, but the Mad Magazine, um, every year you guys would gather for these trips, and I heard about one to Tahiti. Well, the background story on that is uh, fairly simple. The publisher, Bill Gaines, was a, uh, a big kind of uh, fun-loving guy, although he was a tough business guy. Um, and uh, uh, a friend of his, Lyle Stewart, who published uh, sex books, uh, <laughs> took all his, all his, his people to uh, London to celebrate the success of a hugely uh, successful book. So um, uh, Bill said to his wife, uh, gee, I'd like to do something nice for my boys and, uh, uh, and girls. There were gir a couple That's of girls. That's nice. Oh. But <laughs> tokens, a couple tokens. Essentially in the front office. I'm sure, and in more ways than one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, so she said, well, why don't you do it too? And... He did it once just to show that he could do it. And then we bugged him. We drove, the first trip was to uh, Haiti. And it was a wonderful experience. Haiti at that time was a, just a, you know, it was a poor country, but it was very, the people were lovely and uh, we were treated royally everywhere we went. Were there any subscribers? Oh, there was, we, we were all gathered together and taken to a house and, uh, and uh, a perplexed and puzzled person came out of the house and Bill Gaines walked up to him and said, you were a subscriber, how come you canceled your subscription? <laughs> I think the guy thought we were there to lynch him. <laughs> but uh, 
You know, we've had some wonderful, well, that was supposed to be the only trip, but he had, uh, he had made a, 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 an error of sorts and he, we kept bugging him and saying, come on, Bill, when are we, let's, you know, we all got to know each other because, uh, I mean, I think the thing to understand is that everybody who works for Mad, except a few people in the office, is a freelance writer and a freelance uh, artist. We don't really know each other. We, uh, uh, we, we, uh, the only time we met was at a couple of Christmas parties, but, uh, the uh, the trip to Haiti formed a a camaraderie that really worked to Mad's great advantage uh, because we kept in touch with each other and we even gave each other ideas and we helped each other and we co collaborated on on articles and we were more productive so it was uh, it was certainly to Mad's benefit and from that point on because Bill himself enjoyed these uh, fellowship things. Um, we had a trip every year afterwards, and I think there was a total of about 33 or four. You never missed one, because you did enough writing that you got to, you were eligible for all of them. I was on, I was one of the two people who was on every trip. I and Lenny Brenner were the only two who made every trip, and... Uh, they were really fabulous. They were great. But I would rather have the bonus. <laughs> so my, 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 my um, last thing, I, just, I, I wanted to just tell you um, thank you from all of us, and I'm so glad you continue to draw these magical fold-ins. I actually want to recommend that people go to the New York Times and see the fold-ins there, because you can play with them online, although it's much more fun if you get the books. Um, you can play with them, and I have them here. And to really recommend reading your beautiful biography, um, your courage and bravery is unbelievable, but I'm also just um, so grateful for your being so hilarious. Um, and I know that you really are an artist, even if cartoonists don't always get treated like one, so I got you a beret so that you could finally, you know, <laughs> properly. <laughs> you know. Thank you very much, Al. Here's a little gift bag for you. Thank you, Katie. You're a lovely hostess. Thank you very much. This has been a very positive and enjoyable experience for me. <laughs> and uh, my, I guess I don't have to worry about baldness anymore. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> thanks. And I, I want to thank the audience because without you, as an audience, as readers, as fans, uh, I'd be starving. <laughs> Same here. Thank you to all of you, and thank you to Al Daffy for coming on. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. Thank you to Nora Lynn. Thank you to Rob Schulte, and thank you to ACAST. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a nice review on iTunes. You can also donate. Um, we have upcoming shows. We're going to be part of New York Comedy Festival in November. And then hopefully we're heading to Los Angeles and, and beyond. So I will keep you posted. You can go to employeeofthemonthshow.com's website to find out more. 
Uh, if you're in New York this summer, I'm also going to be doing a storytelling show called Slightly Feral, um, August 19th, if you're in the city. Otherwise, and whether you're in New York or whether you're anywhere, anywhere in the world, whether you're in Greenland, I hope you are finding meaning and joy and having some fun. And um, I know that it always feels like the world is falling apart, and that's because it is. Um, but within that, I hope that you can find some time to to do something that feels creative and sustains you in, in some capacity. And if that's pizza, well, then just eat the pizza. I'll talk to you next week. I'm Katie Lazarus.